Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this episode, we hear part two of the Doc's in-studio interview with sound engineers Scotty P. and Dave Hampton, where they discuss the 3121 house parties, favorite memories and performances, as well as Q&As from the fans. The Doc also talks about news items like the Universal Publishing deal and Paisley Park opening full-time. And now, ask where he's going, he'll tell you nowhere, Dr. Funkenberry. Uh, Ida, thanks for that. What up, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. And we have part two, Chris. Chris, what up? We have part two. What's up, Doc? Yeah, we get part two. We had uh, Scott Baldwin, Scotty, Scotty P. Scotty P. and Dave here in studio at the Dr. Funk Podcast headquarters. So, yeah, it's nice. And by the way, if you guys haven't watched the World Series yet, Stop it now. Don't want to do any spoilers. Congratulations to the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> See you in 2124. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's just get down to it so we can get busy with Scotty P. Um, Paisley Park is officially open now. They're putting on dates for 2016, the rest of the year, and they're going to put Dates on mid-November for 2017. I wonder how many months of 2017 they're actually going to do, though. That's wonder if it's just a couple months or, you know what everyone's looking at. They're all looking at for April and for June, yeah. And I think those might be blacked out. We will see. I mean, I've been hearing stuff that they want to do stuff around that time. Like special events, you think? Yeah, we'll, hmm. we'll see. We'll find out in a couple weeks. I... There's some people that would prefer it in April. There's some people that prefer it in June. I would prefer it in June, but that's my opinion on it. So they did everything. It's it's fully open now. They invited the media out there again, not just you know what they had planned to have with the Today Show and Entertainment Tonight. You had more media outlets. They had people talking about stuff, showing photos of um, the rooms, the end of the Cherry Moon Room. I finally saw that today, bridge. actually, yeah. And then they had they showed the room where people where the fans have their tributes that were leaving on yeah, the fence. An actual fence with the, the it looked just like it did out there, didn't it? It was pretty cool. I think I read that they're gonna make it a little bit bigger. That would be nice. I have been in contact. Um we'll see when I go down. If I go down, probably sometime in two thousand seventeen where it's a little bit warmer. Um, but I just think now that it's open, you know, this whole thing of too soon, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Let's just support it. Let's keep Prince's memory alive. That's what it's about. Okay. And they're going to get it right. I understand people are upset. They're still reading from cards. They don't really know all the info. They'll get it right. You know, they will get it right. So Paisley Park is now officially open. The council, everything. There's none of this stuff going on. And that's it. That's what it is now is Paisley Park Studios Museum. But say Paisley Park Studios and they're supposed to have other things there and things are constantly going to be changing which is something that I approve of I already know people that took different uh, trips there that they said that there's different songs playing on Studio A when they're when they're doing stuff so already so already changing things yep, up huh cool there you go good and I also thanks to the people that were telling us that actually some of uh, the tour guides are mentioning Dr. Funkenberry I heard that too. You know, that was really cool. Just about like the late night Paisley Park after dark events over the past few years and just other other stuff. Someone hit me up that did some of the Paisley Park after dark stuff 
that was a crew member. He's like, man, we didn't know if we were working that night till we got your tweet or saw your post. <laughs> like we, we didn't know. That's cool. And that's just how it was for some band members too. So Paisley Park is open. Now there's other huge news. Yeah. Look, like uh, Londell McMillan and Koppelman, they had till November 3rd was in their contract was going to expire with Bremer Trust. I think it's going to get extended now. Mm-hmm. They threw a Hail Mary or bottom of the 10th, the Cubs. <laughs> uh, they, they got some clutch hits. They got Universal Music Publishing Group worldwide publishing administrative and licensing. Now, I have no idea what that means. So you're going to have to break it down. It's, for me. it's, I mean, I know yeah. exactly what that is, but there's listeners that may not know, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's it. Yeah. That's it. I was getting hit up a lot and I went, just let me, I just put short little things out, but I was like, we'll have a podcast tonight. And this is just how everything planned out greatly for this to have it done. Now, publishing administration, and this is what it is publishing rights, but let's get into what that really means here. Publishing administration. It's the act of making sure compositions are collecting all the royalties they're entitled to, plus accounting and payment of those royalties to songwriter or publisher. So okay. that means not, not licensing yet, but we're talking about when his music gets played in a jukebox in Alabama, when you're playing pool, when you are out and about on a road trip and Prince comes on your radio or the satellite stuff, they have to collect the money from the bars, from the radio stations, anywhere that his music is being played, they collect the royalties for them, you know, and the deal was not put out if it's what it is, but I'm sure it's lucrative for the estate, but they're not saying what it is. Usually what Prince would do, and let's get into another part before I get into that. Um, Because people were asking, what's the difference between a publisher and publishing administrator? Right. Okay. So a publisher is the owner of the composition copyright. You know, if there's no deal in place with an outside publisher, then the songwriter is the publisher, which is the case. They did not purchase his catalog, say, like Michael did, Michael Jackson did with Sony or the Beatles, Sony getting that. Um, So they're basically... They they got the deal to be basically the financial right they're doing the finance of of they're, the, the paperwork behind right, royalties and music they're empowered by the publisher to manage their copyrights and account for the income they earn there you go a Accounting, publishing yeah. and publishing administrator does not own a part of the composition but does this work in exchange for a small commission okay. of the revenue collected so the publisher meaning the Prince estate now, they're going to get a lion's share of the profits. And Universal Music Publishing is just going to handle collecting it. Right. The accounting side of right. it and saying, hey, we're just going to take a little bit, probably with hopes of in the future getting a bigger piece of the pie or, you know, just, but I can see how why they want to get in there. Right. He's doing the, the accounting side of it. And another thing, because then people are asking about streaming. Okay. The deal includes rights to more than a thousand songs. Not recordings, not recordings. So what it means is it's kind of like, say, The Beautiful Ones or other stuff, or Purple Rain is a full album. They don't own it. But when it comes to When Doves Cry, it getting airplay or getting played in these places, 
you know, they have to get it in check to collect the money. Um, both, like, say, again, like I said, deal includes rights to more than a thousand songs, not recordings. Both are needed before works can go on streaming services. So, Title is in a little bit of a concerning trouble here because Prince was the exclusive home to title for streaming. That may be changing. So does that mean they have to get some uh, they have to get permission from Universal now if they want to stream stuff? Not exactly. But the thing is, they still had a deal in place. I'm sure title has been paying Prince because mm-hmm. even a few days before he passed, they were having a purple pick of the week. That was a recent thing. Right. You know, that just the, the black sweat and featured that ironic, uh, the Chicago actor, um, kind of played a gangster back in the day with those things. He was featured in the little thing that they posted about it. Now, another thing that I just want to make clear is that it's kind of, it sounds like I'm repeating, but it's not. The arrangement is an administration deal. meaning Prince's Prince's estate, retains ownership of the songs want to be clear on that okay clear um and negotiations for the licensing rights to much of prince's over catalog plus unreleased material there are they are ongoing so are discussions being placed on that and as much as people find it weird like look i kind of want Warner Brothers to get that side of it because with the released recordings, right? The unreleased material, Purple Rain, the movie, Under the Cherry Moon, the movie, Graffiti Bridge, not Sign of the Times because, interesting enough, that was done as a side effort in 1987 with MCA Universal. However, Universal does not own the rights to Sign of the Times, it was purchased somewhere else because it was a separate deal because at the time. Universal, it's MCA Universal, but it was with Cineplex Odeon, which is non-existent, and they were purchased the rights from another country. I got to bring that back in. But just when it comes to Diamonds and Pearls video collections, uh, Three Chains of Gold, or other unreleased material with the videos, it'll make everything easier. Mm -hmm. And the problem that Prince had with Warners the past couple of years was over money. And just like when uh when we have Adrian Crutchfield on next week, which is oh. going to be a great guest, and by the way, the exclusive, yeah, now you know, he, we will talk more about that, about what Prince wanted and the peer to peer, the idea of how that came to be. So we're getting into those things, just a little bit of a teaser, how to throw that in, set it up, <laughs> and bring it all in. I kind of want Warner's just to get that because it'll make everything easier, and then you'll probably be getting about three releases a year, probably a remaster, right. B-Sides collection, 12-inch collection, other things that you there'd be more hurdles to have to jump through if another company's in it. Like Prince had a deal with Universal Music Publishing for a while. Now, the she only had two problems with Universal Music Publishing, and this is another thing because they actually had licensing along with that at the time. So, you know... Here's Universal going, oh, my God, we're going to have control of Prince's catalog, blah, blah, blah. And then there's going to be people hitting us up to license the song or use it on TV shows and movies. And Prince was constantly turning them down. So they weren't making the money that they wanted to or thought they would. Right. So and then they were trying to be protective of Prince. And they kind of overstepped their bounds a little bit. 
Um, they took down a video of a dancing kid to Let's Go Crazy that is now had on the Supreme Court's table. Crazy, this yeah. thing would not go away. And Prince had a feeling that I was going to be like, this is going to be a big deal. And he was just, he was pissed. He wanted them let it be, make it go away, put the video back up. And they, they felt that they were in the right. As much as Prince was all about taking down YouTube videos and all this stuff, if if he would have been pushed like that, he would have said, let it be, leave it alone. You know? Um, so he was upset about that. And now it's turned into this big deal that he thought it was going to be that he wanted to go away. Universal kind of messed up with that. That's not going to happen this time with other things. Probably going to start seeing videos disappear from YouTube eventually. But now, you know, dancing babies, we'll see what goes on because that now that has to be decided in court. So we're going to see the precedence of what is done. Another thing that he didn't like and he sent to me before it aired was when Gwyneth Paltrow was on episode of Glee, they did kiss. Right. And there was some sort of miscommunication between Russell and one of Prince's managers at the time for it to be approved when he did not approve it. So before the episode aired, he sent me something saying he does not approve of it. They weren't supposed to do it. It still aired, but those were the two things. Other than that, he was happy with everything. Like when Questlove was working on the late show before uh, getting the tonight show, they were constantly wanting to use Prince's music. And at that time, it was under Universal Music Publishing. Prince is like, you know, he wanted to use uh, Valentina. So he's like, you know, charge him like a million dollars or whatever. And Quest is like, no, I'm not going to do that. But now when and when he had MPG Music Publishing in 2014, we saw some of these happen where Questlove was playing his music, where his music was featured in Scandal, Controversy was playing, a couple movies featured his music. I think... Now we're gonna we are gonna see more of that eventually, regardless right, yeah. of the administration deal. Probably so, gonna see Kiss and When Doves Cry in a lot of movies over the next two years. And the main thing is, I just want to stress to the family, whoever's listening, is let's not have Baby I'm a Star being used just for Taco Bell or right. you know or other things. Keep it classy. I mean, he did license Little Red Corvette for their fiftieth anniversary. You know, did a little clip of it. We're going to have to just see how things play out with this. But that's what publishing and that's what administration do. But all the other things are under it. It isn't a licensing agreement, but they're they're the first hurdle that people are going to have to go through now to want to use his music. And they're who are going to be collecting the money for the estate now. Because over the past few months, you haven't had that. And there's been a lot of people where that money has just been not going anywhere now they're going to get it and that's good it shows that now the family is going to get what they d- deserve right and it doesn't say how long this contract is okay but again in the past what prince would do is that he would have different publishing deals one for the u.s one in different countries because he felt he can get more money that way obviously uh they're doing it differently to make things easier so now it's a worldwide publishing deal so universal takes care of collecting the money in Australia, in the United Kingdom, in Japan, and then it'll go to the estate. So when you're putting that money into the jukebox, that money actually gets collected. They know what songs are played and they know who to pay it to. 
So just want to say that. Chris, I'm too excited. We got to get Scotty P up in here, man. All right, let's do it. Scotty and Dave, they're going to be All up right. in here. All right, let's, yeah, Scotty let's get and into Dave. this. Part two, you guys heard part good. one, and part two is even better. Yes. <laughs> I love these guys. Much love. Let's kick it off. What up? And here we are, back with Scotty and Dave for part two of our interview. Hope you guys enjoyed part one. You guys were in such demand that we had to get you back on again, both of you at the same time. Now, a question we touched on with part one these big celebrity parties that he had. Now, I would see from my own point of view where you'd have Dane Cook and Spike Lee vying for to be right in front of the stage. Then there's other people that were just too cool that wanted to run, that would just check out things. And then what I'm reminded of is during the, during the Staples Center run in Musicology, Jack Nicholson didn't exactly like his seats behind the music club. So he, every, there were so many shows where he kept trying to get closer, had his little drink in hand. Because, you know, here he is always front row at Laker games. Now he's having to sit in the back. I didn't see him there, but I'm just wondering because I, I can't see Jack at these parties. But he had such a love for Prince, of course, getting him on the Batman soundtrack and Party Man and all that stuff. That was the one celebrity I never saw at Prince's uh, Hollywood parties. Did you guys ever see Jack Nicholson there? Because I saw Jude Law, Sharon Stone. You know, I, I don't ever remember seeing Jack Nicholson. There. I don't. I've, I've. I just think he wouldn't dwell. He wouldn't want to be in that atmosphere. But he was such a yeah. huge fan. Yeah, I never saw him there. I'm trying to think of anybody in his era I saw there. And any any party that I did, I was always because we never had a timeline as to when anything, whether it be an after show or a party or any special event, we didn't know when he was going to go on for the most part. So I was always sort of at my console. You know, in the ready position, that's sort of where I was camped right. down all the time. So I missed. I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, missed was... Javier Bardem meeting Penelope Cruz, and now they're married. Just all these things. Just... It was. A, it was. Each party had. Each house had a little vibe of its own. Right. You know. Each each house. So I'm trying to remember the one. There was one that had the pool table and the glass door and the. The kitchen where everybody commiserated, and 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 uh, then there was the other house, not the basketball house, but the other house on the, the Boozer Beverly house. Park, Carlos Beverly Street. Park next to the guy, the Monster Energy drink guy. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was a pretty big house. Seventy-seven, seventy-seven Beverly Park. Beverly Park, yeah, yeah. That had, was, what's her name? That's going to be Tilda Swinton. She brought her Oscar to the house party, and then mm-hmm. you had neighbors that were there that wouldn't normally be there There was this guy that was yeah the guy who had monster energy drink and then well everybody lived in the complex because uh freddie murphy lived down the street yeah stallone lived down the street it was yeah and they were just people just walking over the house you know going over my neighbor's house till six in the morning (laughs) yeah they all had that smile on their face like yeah this neighborhood got a whole lot cooler when prince moved in yeah that's for sure it's hard to tell whose house it was uh, you know, at Beverly Park, because you're driving everybody. It's a gated community, but mm-hmm. then each house has its own set of mighty gates and doors. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you got to his gate, he's got a big symbol on the gate, so you know who lives yeah. there. You know, 3121 on the mailbox. So. Like, he, first, the first time there, they played in the living room. I think some people complained about sound or whatnot. Then... He had the book release party, and that was outdoors at 77 Beverly yeah. Park. And then when we came back for the Emmy party, it was downstairs. We went downstairs in the basement, in the basement yeah. 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 So he moved it up a few times. That was interesting. Now, Scott, 
<clears throat> excuse me, I guess this is a question more so for you when you set up. Um, how did you handle the impromptu set list changes or were there more planned in advance than, than people think? Um, it was generally set in advance, but he would go off into, we were always, everyone was ready for him to go in any direction he wanted. And that was just part of the, um, part of the job. And, um, we used to have, I, I had a, um, everything programmed in my desk. He didn't like to hear that I had so much programming going on. Hmm. And so I sort of had to, there were workarounds that I could make it really seamless. So you couldn't tell I was going, but making sure the effects were exactly what they were on the record unless otherwise dictated by by prince because conceptually he would say well i want to do this with this song and i want to make this sound different um he had a way of um uh kind of telling he would he would he would send a um send a signal sort of and with the pitch that i have i could always tell where he was going to go i would or i was had an educated guess as to where he was going to go with the song, but he would just, um, we had to be ready for anything. He, one night he, um, out of nowhere on an, a, in an after show in some city, he went into a whole lot of love and you could, you could probably figure out what after show that was and where it was, but just out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he just went ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And he started that. And right away I'm tapping out the triplet echo on Robert Plant's voice. Right. I, and, and then the band just, with no rehearsal, they just, do, 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 dang, do, 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 And he came up and said, you, baby. Right, and I had the echo for him, and, and he did the breakdown with the, ah, 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 ah. He did all that. So the next day at the show, and, and during the after show, I looked down, and I saw what the delay time was, what the echo time was. And I, I marked that down in my brain. I just said, okay, remember that time. So when we got back to my big desk in the big musicology show the next day i wrote a song i wrote a scene for that song and had the echo ready right so for his vocal i also thought well let me get creative here um because he always gave me free reign over all the effects because that's where i would would shine and so he um i had that same echo but i had one that went up and then an echo that went down and he ended up using that echo. He reminded me of that echo and wanted me to use that on the piano and a microphone tour as okay. the intro. And he said, do that thing you did back then. So anyway, I had, um, uh, I was ready for it. So the set list changed the, specifically for that question. They would, he would, sure enough, that next night, out of nowhere without, it was in the set list. He just, it wasn't in there. He just went ding, 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 ding. And so I, I went, da, 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 enter. It called up that scene. And he, I had the echo on him. And then at the end, he, he started playing a solo and he had this whammy pedal he loved. He would go on his guitar. And I put that echo that went down on that guitar. So it went, and he was so good at being dramatic and play right into that effect that he, we never rehearsed it, but then he acted like it was bouncing around the room and he was looking around. And at the end, he did one last big, whammy effect that i could feel was coming and i turned the echo all the way up so that it just kept repeating he took the guitar off and he set it on the stage and he took out his handkerchief and he pronounced the guitar dead and laid the and that was all in that was all just this on the spot and then he set the hanky on it pronounced the guitar dead and then he looked over at john and he i think he started take me with you and i just went back up 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 enter and it went right into take me with you the end of the show trevor comes over says he wants to talk to you Went over to the thing, knocked on the door. Scotty, 
and he didn't let me in, but the door opened. He said, <clears throat> cool. And he just wanted to, it was a little visual thing like that's, that was a good one. You know, we right. did that. So there, so yes, all the time. There were set list changes all the time. You just had to kind of know where he was going with it. And this is a personal one. Just you're asking for a certain date. I kind of interest in this one just because they said that the set list, um, there's no way that it could have been, of course, I just lost it. There's no way that it could have been uh, done ahead of time, but I remember, we'll get into it, that they put about four or five pages down. They want to know if you were the one responsible for the sound for the Hollywood Palladium 2014 show, which, interesting enough, be it was his last show in L.A. Hollywood Palladium. I don't think I did. No, I didn't yeah. do that show. I don't think I did that show. And it was... Well, no, Liv was the night before. Then he did that. He did like a no. long Days of Wild and Extra Lovable. The no, next I didn't. Night, I didn't do that show. He did he put three pages of a set list on the floor. You knew it was going to be a long show, and it was almost literally four hours, daylight savings time. He ended it at 2 a.m., and then it flipped to 3 a.m. Like, <laughs> just, you just freaking start at 10, 2, boop, 3. Like, as soon as we looked, we all were looking at our things. What, 3 a.m.? Like, remember, like, five hours show, I went. Daylight savings time was four. Just interesting on that one. Um, someone wants to know if you recall ever wa- watching him write a song and how it was to witness that happening. Like what came first, music, lyrics, all at once, which instruments did you start with? I remember the first time that I, I was there when he did a session to witness a session with him where he's just rolling and then he's calling out for instruments and we're like bringing a keyboard and it's still rolling and he's playing and and I remember watching him cuz I always watch all the guys that I work with and I watched him play and I was just watching it and he was so nonchalantly hitting the keyboard but when he hit it and sometimes you know you're looking at it and it's wow is he's really meaning to hit that and even when he didn't mean to hit a note and he hit a note it would, the next thing he hit would make it right. It was like, wow, you really, you really are good at this, you know. Because in any, it w- wasn't like it was going to stop. He just wanted to keep the thing going. Right. He say, okay, hand me, hand me a bass, you know, and a bass, and then he'd have the whole thing. We start out with drums, and he'd, he'd go to the drums and lay it out. Then we come time for vocals. He say, okay, you guys can take off. I'll be finishing a little bit. And he'd and, do his own vocals. You know, it's something that that I, that just occurred to me. There's not, a, I don't think there's a lot of foot unless unless I'm wrong. I don't think there's a lot of footage of his hands playing a piano. No. Um, and we always got to see him play guitar and play bass and see how his mouth changed when he was playing each of those instruments. Right. 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 And and um, and how he would when he played a wah pedal. He most most guitar players do go wow. They make a face. <laughs> face but yeah. it, but it's because they're really into that. They're really channeling what they're hearing inside mm-hmm. and that's a great expression of what a wah makes you feel but there is not a lot of great um hands video shots. that i remember of his beautiful hands playing i mean playing the instrument and i, re- I remember how um and it uh, obviously it was january it was all you know it was january and february that i got to watch up close a lot of him playing from behind him and watching his hands play the instrument and how I nodded when you said that about his his intention. You never really could tell whether it was intentional or not, but he he could I, make it work. He could make a bad note yeah. right, you know. And if there's ever anybody who could have yeah. come up with a thirteenth note, it was really him because he he just had a way of expression uh, expressing himself on on the keyboard. I wish there were more video yeah. of his hands working. It was keyboard. you know that it was it was a, a to witness it. 
it was very surreal and they never wanted you never wanted to 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 exalt and go like man i can't believe what i'm seeing you know but again i'm coming off of i'm 44 years old i'm coming off of working with some of the greatest musicians in the world who are good at one instrument Mm -hmm. not good at all of not when they go to write like i said you know working with herbie and uh, wayne and them they're brilliant as an ensemble as a band working together to make a record but it's a group effort uh, this is a solo thing. This is all inside his head. Mm-hmm. And so once he gets the, the, the pattern out and everything's on there, then experientially, if he wants to bring in Sonny or Michael, they'll bring him in, but they might not get brought in until time to play live or whoever's in the band gets brought in. And then they're learning what he did. And it's a different thing, too, because you got to remember people always try and equivocate Michael's creativity to his Two, two totally different things. Michael's creativity was part and parcel because of guys like Greg Fillingates, right? Michael would make sounds. Greg would take those emulations and turn them into uh, translate vocal translated yeah. uh, translated vocal sounds would turn into uh, uh, things that we could turn into the musical structure of a song, and and that's a lot different than Prince actually going. I hear this song in my head i'm going to go play the drums i'm going to go do this i'm going to program the machines all those things he did himself it did not both were really good at what they do both were really good at what they do but when people go to compare them i never can really make that comparison because stylistically they both went about it different ways they both went about it different ways and and it it's just something you've never it's something you've never seen. Once you see it, it 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 blows your mind, and it also changes you. When I when I got back to L.A. and I heard the first musician say, "Man, I'm so tired," I looked at him and said, "Man, shut up." <laughs> you know, and I'll I'll say this: when I went and had the experience in Minnesota, and I met musicians in Minnesota, and every musician I met that's from this camp. I met really talented musicians who could play and they didn't have all this 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 thing on them. Mm-hmm. They just were were all out and they could play whether they played with him or not. It just a, it was just a Minnesota thing. You know, and just right. really really great musicians and and it made me really think hard about when a musician tells me they're tired. I'm going, really? You're tired? What you been doing? Because I know somebody who doesn't sleep, right? And should be tired, you know, but he, he, he's still going. You know, right. he, he didn't, uh, something I noticed in the live setting is that he he wouldn't give a lot of crap to musicians that were better at that instrument than he was. He wasn't really ever super critical of Michael Bland, of Sonny Thompson, I never heard it. I I've never once experienced him telling Sonny how to play something, hmm. not once. Um, and uh, so he would he would sort of selectively choose who he picked on, if that's what you want to call it, and and where he would tell him what he wanted because he knew what had to be done in his head, and it was better than what they were delivering. But um, but I I know for a fact that Michael and Sonny never suffered that because he 
they were better at that instrument than he was. So he, right. he, he was, I noticed that trend over the, mm-hmm. over time that he just wouldn't do that. And that's, you know, a testament to their readiness and their skill level and their knowing what he wanted in his material. Yeah. You had to, as Dave said, you had to deliver what's in someone's head. All these ideas are in his architecturally are in his head, and you're trying to pull them out and make something out of them. Yeah, the right. productivity was different. Whenever he would call those guys, the productivity was just like night and day. Yeah, he could cut yeah a dozen tunes <clears throat> in a With night. Them. Yeah, wow. yeah. Now, what someone's asking is, they want to through all of you got all of all of your time with Prince. What's the one? This is tough. What's, what's the, the one thing? or two recording song or concert that you would like to see get officially released? I want the Minnesota show, which means musicology. Oh, the one where he talked. One he said your name. When he said my name, I <laughs> thought that was so cool because because here's the here's the I I was there and I had brought my kids out. I flown my kids out, and we all went to the show. I took the whole crew, my whole uh, staff of engineers. We all sat in the audience, had our paisley shirts on, and we're like, okay, we're gonna go see the show, guys, because the crew didn't know I was gonna take them. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, we're sitting there, and uh, all of a sudden, Manuela comes and says, oh, he wants you, he wants you. I said, huh, huh? And then uh, I, was, I thought I was in trouble. You know, I'm like, oh, shit. Maybe he looked over here and saw all of us. He goes, who's back watching the station? You know, so. <laughs> so and, and so he goes, is Dave Hampton in the building? He says it on the microphone. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to be up there. <laughs> no, but he wanted me to come on stage, and, and they were doing a little thing, come on stage and dance. But I was like. Well, he said something about old school. Oh, yeah, old school. He said yeah. something about, we're going to yeah. go old school. Yeah. Dave Hampton, come on up here. <laughs> Or something like that. Yeah. So, so, uh, but I thought it was so cool because for me, uh, you know, the, my, for my kids to experience something like that, it was huge. I, mean, I was a single dad. So at that point, I had been flying back and forth. They knew I was working on this project, but they hadn't really, you know, it was, it wasn't real to them. And you got to understand my kids are kind of, they'd grown up sleeping by people's drum kits and being in the studio all the time. And, and, you know, my daughter, Brittany, she was the kind of person who, if I'm talking to Herbie, she's patting her foot like, can we go? You know, she didn't care that that was Herbie Hancock. Like the whole world was like, oh, really? That's you know, No, she don't care. She didn't care that that was Prince, you know. But at, at, at this point, when he did something like that, it was, that was the biggest, one of the biggest thank yous I could get was to have my kids experience that and go wow my dad's the shit he just said his name you know right. that that's to me that that's that's big shit you know cool. and i mean there were other high points there was one other thing that he did for all of us and that was uh, all the engineering staff he called us all in his office when we had wrapped up and finished everything we were about mm-hmm. to go back i think the last project i worked on was a consult with first avenue so all the engineers were going to fly back and he says um I got to tell you, you guys, uh, of everybody I've dealt with, you guys are the most honest people I've ever met. And I'm like, wow. You know, I said, and, and, and you know, we talked about some other stuff, then we all left, and then it was real quiet. I said, guys, you realize he didn't have to say that. Hmm. You know, but what I had done was everybody, we had agreed to work under one thing. I didn't, I said, we're not going to do this hourly thing of, Pit pat, do this. Everybody's just going to make the same wage. Mm-hmm. But what you are going to do is you're going to fill out a sheet that says, Here, here's what's happening. Here's when I'm in. Here's when I'm out. And this is what we did. We're just going to, you know, fill out reports, and that's how we're going to 
log our time because I had realized over the years one of the biggest abuses had been time, the clock, and money. Right. And so I just wanted to be able to have the services provided without him having to feel like it was a, a yet another boulder he's got to carry around, right? right. And so, but but on the in, on the other side of that, for somebody like him to share that with all of us was really cool because he didn't have to. He didn't have to say anything. You know, we we had agreed to be there and do the work regardless and it wasn't for attaboys it wasn't for way to goes it was just you know to do what we needed to do so that was cool and then you know there's this there's there's a bunch of stuff like i said my biggest one is 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 in the other room elena so if if scotty would have never given him the number right Mm -hmm. and he never called that night that little girl wouldn't exist right so and scotty what about you recording um there's nothing that that jumps out to me because there's really so many things and and so much of it has come out that i don't uh i don't wish for anything to be different than what than what it is but um the what resonates with what dave said is that uh something i brought up on another episode which was about being in concert together right he always Mm -hmm. had everyone and whether they knew it or not or whether they knew about the bigger plan he he always he he was very cognizant of his um of his um creations and what he was doing and he he just utilized people as part of their creations and dave was an integral integral part of that as was i in in the life setting and and, um a thank you was not you didn't get him very often Mm-hmm. Um, from him and they came in weird forms as exactly. well he he once when I was a drum tech one time he was not happy with the act one I guess show we were in Europe somewhere and he had a meeting with the sound guys act two, act two the meeting with the sound guys lighting guys and the whole band and the production staff well the only people that didn't have to come to this meeting were all the technicians and I think I was playing frisbee or something I was out back of this arena of this uh, venue playing frisbee and then when I got back to the stage they said everybody back to the stage on the radio and I went back to the stage and Tommy I think it was Tommy Michael and Sonny said oh man he said something Morris was he said, said, said something really nice about you man and I said what do he say and he said um, I think Sonny was the one who told me he said he said I need you all to do your jobs and know the material he said y'all know Scotty remember i'm back playing frisbee i didn't hear this he said y'all know scotty can't play a lick on the drums right (laughs) but he knows every single beat that michael does he knows michael's whole show he can air drum behind him and he said as soon as they learn how to clone i'm going to clone scotty and me and all four of us are going to fire y'all and run the show ourselves which is which is totally prince yeah Yeah. like he comes up with this whole idea of cloning (laughs) him and me and we're going to run the show yeah, and and fire all y'all, and so th- that was a thank you. That was a form of thank you, and I got a lot of thank yous over the time, and right. and and uh, so a thank you was the best published thing that yeah. I could receive from him. Not a song or a concert right. would be a thank you, and I had plenty of those, so I'm not greedy with it. I don't. I I'm, I appreciate it all the time. Yeah, well. he would he would do stuff like if I would make a change, and I made a change one time in Studio A. He wanted some more bottom end or something. And I'm saying, okay, and I went there and I did made a couple changes, did a couple things, came back, made a couple more. Then at the end of the day, he called me in and he said, sit, sit here, man. And he said, I said, I mean, sit in his seat at the console. He said, I want to play this. And he played me the song he just wrote just so I could hear 
what it was doing and it was literally like breathing i'm like wow this it was really kicking i'm like yeah okay cool but other than that i'm like okay i guess he's trying to say thanks i'm like okay so i said so we got it huh he goes yeah you know but like he said it comes in weird ways but but you know it's a work thing i think at the end of the day he man anything to help him get his his ideas out we we work for the songs at the end of the day that's that's who we are there to to help or help the songs to get out if he exists somewhere and you believe in all this he does yeah then i i would say that he's behind a console right now right (laughs) yeah and he's making music somewhere yeah somewhere and that's where he loved to be and as much as he loved live performances as much as that had to do with selfishly with me and and getting his um people material out to people i know that the where he felt most at home was probably alone in studio a Mm -hmm. creating and Mm -hmm. um even though that seems a little bit solemn and a little sad he loved being there and he loved spending time there and he loved the sound of tape stopping because we don't hear that anymore Mm -hmm. you don't hear the sound of tape stopping and rewinding and he he's somewhere if you believe it then he is there he's he's sitting there somewhere with analog tape (laughs) playing back stuff that he's cut that no one will ever hear yeah you know but that i like to think of him as being somewhere that he wants to be and that he was always at home there now another question They loved hearing about the stories about front of house sound. They thought it was cool that P wanted the same thing as monitors. This person is curious. Did he ever use in-ears or did he prefer wedges? Um, he used in-ears only on one tour. He used in-ears on, on uh, One Night Alone. Oh. Um, he had a, we had a really good monitor engineer named Sean Sturge who came in who was a master of in-ear monitors. They're very different because... There's a proximal effect. They're right in your ears, so they become in your head, and, and um, you lose that sense of space. And Prince is somebody who thrived on space, and not only between notes, but physically his relationship to the music. It had to be a certain distance away. That's why he would move around the stage to cap to hear it differently. And um, he did it for one tour, and then he the next tour, when when given an opportunity to uh, to um, use those for musicology, actually to to use those in-ear monitors again as we started the tour i had his two pair of in-ear monitors sitting on my console and open one of them open and the ears were kind of showing i knew that was the way to present it so when we started talking conceptually about what he wanted to do mm-hmm. um i pointed to those and i said do you want to start with these again and he said no you can keep those um i don't uh he said i already have five uh, feedback five feet away from me why would i want it in my ears so he kind of conveniently forgot that he forgotten that he had just done a tour a couple of years prior to great success and it sounded great but he he just he musicology the basic architectural tenet of that was about music and the basis of music and you, they didn't have inner monitors so he wanted that relationship with the music itself he wanted yeah. it to be a distance away from him so yes we used him on one night alone live and i think they're somewhere in you know somewhere at home you know he i've got those two pair of things that he gave me that he said he didn't want to use anymore hmm. because he just wanted the relationship to be farther away from him. Yeah. Right. You know, no. the technicals are cool and I know people get off on them, but his whole thing was just about improvisation, you know, being able to, to be in the moment and right. be able to drive to the next thing. And, and it's, wasn't about hanging out, being repetitious and, yeah. 
a lot of what you find in music. It was just let's keep let's keep going, let's keep going. And and so uh technology is great, but at the point where it, it it's not working, you gotta know when to pull back. And I think that's the difference that you know I see when I look at different front of house engineers with Scotty. Scotty knows how to read the signals. And right. if if it if it wasn't gonna be that it didn't have to go any further than, okay, I don't need those. And then right. it was about adapting your game plan to fit what what he felt like, you know? Right. Now, this 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 is a question, an interesting one. Don't know if they're wording it exactly right. Um, just like they've been to tons of shows by many artists, but Prince would be the only one like who'd bark orders, I'd say give orders <laughs> from the stage, turn a loop up more in the front wedge. Is this unprofessional to you, or is he a super perfectionist? And other artists don't care. And um, how did the settings change since soundcheck to why he'd make those orders during the show? It, it was he was because he was a master arranger for a live setting. There's nobody he had no equal to a live uh, arrangement. As I said, he would arrange songs according to what size venue they were in. That's a real arranger. That mm-hmm. even musical directors nowadays don't don't do that. They just don't. It's not on their radar. It's not in their purview. So. Um, he, in, in addition, as a, an extension of that, if he wanted to be, get inspired by a certain loop at the beginning of Let's Go Crazy or something, he would say turn the loop up because he wanted that to really um, speak out. And it, it, it might have been loud enough in the house, but the monitor engineer, de jour, right, didn't know to turn that up at that point or whatever. That's why I gave up at some point after about 25 engineers and i just started to give him my front of house mix because i know it's what he wanted anyway so i just had to really be careful and make sure that the front of house mix sounded that it sounded the same on stage as it did in the house and then uh but but i don't think it's unprofessional uh, no because the way in which he did it was usually he could do it in a look to me i could kind of read the tell i knew all his tells mm-hmm. or i thought i did mm-hmm. all of his tells and some people don't anita baker is one who is not uh gentle about it Mm. She'll stop a show, mm. and uh, and and bark commands and mm. talk about this, and you don't have enough reverb, sir, and mm. you shouldn't be working in the industry. So yeah, that, yeah, there are some artists that are, and I just called her out on it. I don't. <laughs> yeah, care. that that's the point where it, it becomes arrogant and yeah. negative and counterproductive, yeah. and and usually the artists that do that don't really have the the bandwidth to be doing that. Right. You know, um, he's he's got the ability to to say what he wants when he wants it. I mean, the other thing is it's in knowing the material, too, because yeah. it's up to the engineers to know the material, you know, with his songs and, and, and especially there's expectations that happen when you when you hear any of the songs and there's using a, a portion of the loop or anything. If those parts aren't up. There is a there is a an expectation that you have to have in your audience when they go to hear Kiss, when they go to hear any of these songs that have these standout parts in them. If those parts aren't present and accounted for, you're losing the expectation. He's losing the energy of delivery, and it and it's tactically taking away from from that moment. Again, we're trying to extend that moment for the ticket buyer to one long night of moments. So. It's about hitting those marks every time a song comes up, and he's the only one I know. Every time we work with a different artist, it's 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 he knows the whole show. We know the dance moves. Yep. You gotta know it all. <laughs> you gotta and, know it all, and that's man. Just, that's yeah. just, but that's just part of it. Is, is yeah. when you're dealing with an with an icon or with an iconic performer who has legacy material, 
right? You, you yeah. have to treat the legacy material. You have to mix it, or I try and mix it the way people want to hear it out front because they already have a precon. They already know they've memorized the material. Right. Yeah. Uh, Adele could re she could reformat uh, "Hello" and you and you and and it, but you know it would still work because it's still fresh enough. But when it's been around for thirty years, people are really locked into that one way it was done. Mm-hmm. So. Kiss had to be a certain way, and unless it was a conceptualized difference in how someone, right. right? I yeah. always wish, you know, one thing that that I never got to suggest to him that I wanted him to do was do the Purple Rain movie version of Let's Go Crazy. I wasn't. He had already gone to the shortened intro, this thing called, <laughs> right? And it's, right. Uh, and I always wanted him to do the full, the thing. full intro, and, yeah. And not only that, but the with the leaning down and the yeah. extended. And I, and I never got to mix that specific version of it because he had been tired of that. He, Maybe he that's wanted, on the new box set. He, I don't know. Check the email. Oh, oh I'm not supposed to talk about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll see. They haven't discussed that yet. That'll be another show. Another I'm sorry. And tacky buzzer. It's okay. <laughs> um, speaking of just certain things, someone brings up when doves cry in this question. <clears throat> Fans are very concerned about Prince's music in the vault is untouched, but most of it never received a final mix. Prince often asked the engineer to make a two-channel stereo mix down on cassette and eventually CD so he could drive around and listen. Is there a basic mix on most of the stuff in the vault or would all be guesswork? Major examples being Prince moving the bass line to When Doves Cry or Prince severing the three vocal harmony in 1999 into three solos. And lastly, like Prince moving orchestral arrangements from Claire Fisher to different songs, and the same thing with Mike Nelson's horn lines. So, is there a basic mix, a final mix? It, it, <clears throat> it depends upon the era and what went on. I mean, that's you know of a lot of the stuff that that we worked on while Ian and I were there, and and everybody else. We we have uh, probably dat mixes, and I had brought all the two tracks back and a couple of times we did two track mixes but that was a little too old school for everybody so uh we most times did the dat mix and Mm. then and then we did some finalizing a lot of cd burning wasn't so much cd burning for the car it was just uh cd burning to take into another room and listen or do something like that um but uh, no, I, it really depends upon the era. You know, that again, that question is so specific. It sounds almost like somebody is setting up to plant the seed to, oh, yeah, this is the so and so of so and so. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and I, I hate to be that, what's the right word for it? I hate to be that suspicious mm-hmm. in nature, but one of the things I always have to do when you're working around somebody is you have to discern communication when somebody communicates that exact right there's mm-hmm. a there's a there's a just say hey, they might just want an answer right and i just gave an answer but then when they want to know details like that it's like shit what do you know that we don't know right uh-huh. and if so or you know what are you about to come out with you know and and so we have to do that again because there's so much uh stuff being brought up and you know who knows they might find an email that has that very thing on it right and that might be the next release All we see sudden. so i don't i don't want to say anything that will spawn on an email right so or <laughs> i don't mean to be that facetious about it but you you understand what i'm saying right right okay you know here's a random question then how many songs do you think are in the vault give or take I think they should wait till they find the email on it. 
Right. Okay, I'm not going to put a number on that. I'm just I'm not going to do that. That's that'd be the wrong thing to do. But it it's also it's also the reason why you want to really do fact checking and why they whenever they do get to the vault, they want to handle the things properly so that those numbers somewhere there somewhere there should be a proper accounting of everything that was found in the vault when it opened. That's that's the honest and true answer. And if somebody can't take that answer or if anybody finds offense with it, the doctor knows how to get a hold of me and we can sit and debate it or you can tweet whatever you want to tweet. I don't tweet, but well, you doesn't, know, you can, does, doesn't a forensic accountant come in in this case? Well, and, and there's, there's going to have to be a lot of people that come in and, and fine tune what goes on because there's many stories to be told and, and there's accounting that has to be reconciled after things transition, I think. And, and that's the only the right thing to do. So right. there really needs to be good record keeping, you know, from the point where the vault was open to when it gets uh, handed over to the proper And not owners. just the vault. I, when There were so many yeah. changes in Everything. leadership over the years that I saw that I know certain things that grew legs and walked out of that building. Mm-hmm. Hmm. In some cases, I know who walked hmm. those out of the building. And that you just want to minimize that kind of... There'll be some of that collateral mm-hmm. uh, stuff going on, but you want to minimize that. And in this case, they have a good opportunity and no excuse not to have a good... Ooh, Scott. Well, no, they really do. No, that they, was a good answer, man. They, you they, ain't there's spilling no tea. You to... just put the siren on, baby. No one wants to walk down a hallway and not see the Oscar. Or, or the not, American Music Award. Yeah, you wouldn't want to... Or the Grammys. You wouldn't want right. to not see those. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to see you know, major or minor things missing out of that, yeah. out of that building. And, yeah. and that's... And that's not because it's a it, it can be monetized those little things can be monetized but it's just important to curate everything everything yeah because it's his story one would expect that anyone in charge now would be doing the right thing and getting an accounting yeah. of someone who doesn't want the job necessarily yeah. right? it's an, a firm who yeah. that's what huh. they do is account for those things yeah because it's I'm, it's his story I'm, yeah. I'm i'm sure that's going on now yeah. Um, because that's the right way to, to handle it. That way, you have an accounting of all that stuff, and then people are helpful. Yeah, and I and I think if it, you know, if they if they if they do feel like any of this is helpful, they should probably go out and try and see what's out there, and and then get it back if it's rightfully belongs to the to the estate. Because the other thing is that if it's out there, and you know, even if it's out there up on auction or wherever it might be, they've got to they've got to look and see if they've got the right paperwork. Because that that stuff is rightfully his, unless you got a great explanation for it, right? You know, so you know, I, and I, and I think that's real, man. It, you know, what the things we're saying, you know, you you don't have to be a lawyer to 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 know what's right, right, right. And I'm and this is no no bash to lawyers, but I just think in this situation we're all so close. We've all always been so guarded about what we do and how we concern ourselves with how we handle him in life that we're also concerned with how we see others handle him in death. Right. And so, um, we just want the, what's, what's best and the right thing to do at all times. So, you know, I think if anybody's smart, they'll just, the truth is such a strong, strong story that you don't need to make shit up. Right. You know, the truth is real good. And it really works. It really works. Right. Know? So. <clears throat> now, another question that we have from Twitter this time. Um, you said 
before the renovation, the board slash mixers were beat up? Is it because Prince was so rigorous and taxing on them? No, he was actually, you know, he wasn't rough on equipment. I think what it is is that um, he had a certain understanding of, and by that time, you, you got to realize by the time I got there, there was no maintenance staff. There was no, there was no staff. And Paisley first of they had a lot of people. They had two studios. They had round the clock things. They had maintenance staff. They had the things that studios normally had to keep everything running. By the time I got there, everything had wound down. We were transitioning an industry that was going away from tape to digital audio. We were doing uh, a lot of things. I think there was the only one guy who was local there. I think his name was Joe. Forget what his name was, but he was he was trying to introduce Pro Tools, as it were, to the format, and it, it didn't go over so well. And so I, I think that as things began to break and as the staff was just lighter and lighter, they didn't have the, the bandwidth to handle repairs. And so a lot of that stuff just went on mothball to the point where there was nothing left, but it wasn't because he was a hard user. You got to remember in his first records, his first upcoming in the studio, he ran it all by himself. Right. right? And he did all his stuff all by himself. So he had a great respect for the gear. Yes. He, he did not misuse yeah. gear. He didn't abuse gear. He didn't slam gear. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he very rarely broke things. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but the climate in, in all the other conditions in Minnesota and, and Paisley is a huge place. You got all kinds of electrical anomalies there. There's a lot of things that go on if you don't maintain gear. You know, the weather changes. You got a lot of static electricity in the air. There's a, a lot of things that happen in the Midwest that don't happen in California. You know, in the mid in the in the middle of the country or on the East Coast too. Everybody, every every grounding scheme is different all over the country. So there's a lot of things that can go on, and that's a full blown facility. It's not only a recording complex. It's a recording complex. It's a sound stage. It's, it's got a very complex uh, system that has to be uh, run a certain way in order for you to have comfort in the studios. You still got to have heaters at work and other things that work through the whole complex and make it go. So it's it's more than, you know, it's kind of like putting an aircraft carrier in the middle of minnesota right right <laughs> and and but but soon soon there's no crew for the aircraft carrier it's just about five people mm-hmm. right so right. aircraft carrier needs a lot of people you know and it's that big so i you think know. what dave did when he came there is he got and that was prince's initial question to me was do you know anyone who can get paisley park up to date i think th- those were his exact words and i said yeah i know the exact guy because in <clears throat> dave had his work cut out for him he came in and not only got things working, which could have been done in six weeks, but that's why he was there in Minnesota for at least five years and then did a few more out on the West Coast, was that he had to come up with things to do. He came up with other solutions that for problems that didn't even really exist yet. So you have to get in that space where his head was, and then you had to create solutions and comfort. And it was also, in addition to being a studio and a soundstage and a working business, it was also a, a residence. And so mm-hmm. you had to be... And a, and a uh, wardrobe studio and uh, a, a graphics studio. Bible uh, video editing suite. Video yeah. editing. Yeah, there was all and a kit in, t- in two kitchens. So you had to balance all that out. And that takes a, a grand effort and, yeah. and to satisfy all those different needs. Right. Yeah. 
you know, and through it all, you know, the one person who was there, other than Scotty, who got me out there, Rick Pelican is somebody that, that most people never hear about, but Rick was there through most of it. I mean, he was, he was, he's, was like the rock and and that's a a person who's sadly missed i mean we all stay in contact so i'm still in contact with him but it's you know again when we when we see all these faces and hear all these stories and we all know the amount of time that we spent in this situation it's like you heard this you heard it no i ain't heard that yeah it's it's very interesting so sometimes we just sit back and we just listen and we right. you know because again we we know what it was like in life to serve to serve him and and uh you know you just want to see things handled properly and you want to see everybody be respectful about how what they do but rick was really key to a lot of what needed to happen because he was consistent and probably one of the most consistent people i met my whole time there you know he's from the area but he's out now touring with bands and stuff but he's from the area but he really took his work serious and and uh was just a good dude good right. dude yeah. now <clears throat> before we wrap things up because i know they want to switch it back on me i don't know why yeah. but is there anything <laughs> that we haven't discussed that wasn't asked you guys kind of want to answer or put out there a little bit i think we did everybody we covered a lot of stuff we covered a lot anybody of stuff. patient enough to put yeah put up with five six seven episodes seven episodes of us i'm sick of myself they they (laughs) were wanting more yeah yeah. you know but i love love me some me but this is too much someone (laughs) actually put in a request can we make this episode four hours Uh, Um, like for real it's um what it is is i think there's a message in in all that in in from the fans and i there is a desire and there's a thirst right and we couldn't get it fully quenched from him and his music the way he trickled out some things, the way he recorded a lot but released a li- very little. Right. And he could have truly could have recorded an album a month, every month, forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. and uh, it, it was just that much. And, and, and again, I'm, I want to be really fair. Not all of it was good. Right. There's stuff I can't even listen to. But he could do it. And um, I, people are – but it resonated with someone. And so um, yeah. it, it, people are thirsty for information. They're thirsty for um, uh, for stories. And um, w- w- you have to, you know, one one principle my wife taught me about about any, uh, whether it's mixing sound or or acting or singing, doing anything is that you have to know your audience. Know your audience. Mm-hmm. Know know your audience in every different situation. Prince knew his audience. And then he tried to grow his audience with other people. Mm-hmm. As evidenced by musicology, he said, I need, Scotty, I need you to keep my voice on top of the mix, much high, high, heavily on top of the mix, because um, all these fans who come here, uh, they know my lyrics, but they're bringing their kids now because they're old enough to have kids. They're bringing their kids, and the kids don't know the lyrics, so I want to make sure they can hear them. So there's somebody who's thinking about the next a grander, yeah. a grander thing. So that is that. That's what keeps people, whether they're consciously uh, aware of it or uh, whether they're aware of it or not, they're thirsty and they're hungry for more information. Yeah. Not just on the the, the affairs of the estate or the uh, uh, the affairs of his death or yeah. You know, because I'm not frankly, I'm not that that uh, um, interested in how he died. I'm just interested in how he lived and and what yeah. Yeah. and what he and what yeah. he created. And so I think fans want to know that they want to peek. Now that he's gone and we know there's no more uh, time stamp that he's going to put on anything in the future, 
we're now looking to his past to get a better idea of who that man was. And yeah. he was a great man and he was a great artist. Um, and, um, you know, I've always sort of, um, been a little reticent to call him a genius because I thought he was somewhat of a conglomeration of Sly and of James Brown and of, um, Jimi Hendrix and even Cab Calloway, if you want to go way back, like he had all these different things and he was sort of homogenized into this thing, but he, at the end of it all, I think he was a genius and I, um, uh, believe he put it all together and did it in a way, uh, in an, and in an era where it was nearly impossible to do that. And, um, so we're all thirsty. Fans are thirsty. They like the stories that Dave and I uh, tell, but, um, it's not just about a cute anecdote it's about a bigger message that he was sending and there's yeah. a message of unity and a message of being in concert together i always say that but that's true and so yeah. i think as long as things progress and they are um a unified message uh it, that makes sense to people i think that'll be appreciated which brings us to you, you. Dr. Oh, Funkenberry. <laughs> because yeah. as I said, I may have briefly touched on it I just yeah. at the end of one of those that I that I just sort of was riffing on it. But you are more important than you know because yeah, a lot of real. people a lot of people are coming up with a lot of things right now that people are like us who were near him would shake our heads and go, What? You were his what? Or he he said what? Yeah, and yeah. and things that are totally anathema to what he was about, and so you know are just falsities. And people are trying right. to be revisionists. There's a lot of revisionists going on, yeah. and yeah. that's part of the reason that Dave did your show and then talked to me about it. And I said, yeah, that would be good to appeal to people who can really appreciate him. And that's through a, you're the conduit through that, and you are the the uh, the the bottleneck, if you will, of information to the fans all around the world that want to hear what you have to say. And that's why Dave and I were talking about on the way over that you are such an important part of what the story is going to become. Hmm. And it's through your efforts and you're not adding commas and zeros to what you do by, or to who you are by doing this, but it's, um, it's an important part of the composition that was Prince as an artist. So you're adding this tail end. It's not going to slam shut. It's going to have a, a taper to it. And, Right. And, you know, as time goes on and the tours have been around for a while and they have less and less people, right, going out there and making that track, because you gotta, you have to kind of haul the mail to get out there, right? It's mm-hmm. not just like downtown or next to the airport. You've right. got to uh, pack a lunch to, to, to make that trip yeah. from, from you know, Stuttgart. Somebody's listening in Stuttgart. Somebody tonight is listening in Caracas, right? Somebody's listening all over the world and they want to come to Paisley Park as a pilgrimage to see where this man lived and died and right. created but you are going to be a huge, important part of getting this stuff on record. Yeah. And people feel comfortable talking to you because they know it's received not as a three-minute piece, but as right. something that can be given on the record. And then we have sort of another composition being built. Am I being too literal? Is this too on the no, nose? No, man. This right? is on the you're, – you're preaching, man. Go ahead. So I'm going to collect it, money so in a it's, minute. So it's important. All of this is, all of this is important. It's an important composition. Yeah. Uh, that you are creating yourself as an homage to this artist that you love dear. Yeah. Right. Do you feel that way? Yeah. You can't disagree after I just yeah. said all that. And it's, well, it's a I trust mean, thing, too. Let me, yeah. say, let me just add this. It's a trust thing. Um, the commonality that we three share is that mm-hmm. in life, he trusted us. Mm-hmm. He yeah. trusted us enough to say, come here, I want to talk to you. I need to do this. Right. 
in all three of our cases. And that's the reason why in wanting to talk to somebody, I needed to talk to somebody who had a commonality with where we were coming from because right. we were doing this all amongst ourselves, yeah. getting each other to where we're okay. And um, when somebody trusts you at that level, it's because you're part of a bigger picture. For creative people to trust you at the core of something, they're making you one of the colors they paint with, right? And so that's kind of what it is. You're 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 just like us. You're one of the colors he dipped in and put it on the canvas. And so you got to look at yourself and look at what you're doing a different way, especially now, mm. because it takes on such meaning, you know. I appreciate it. Like I hear yeah. it from <clears throat> the people I can mention names. People don't get it is there are some people that support me, but they can't have their name out there right now. And they're like, why don't you tell their names? I'm like, because there's a trust. They're like, you can say this, but please don't attach right. my name. There'll be people like Afshin, mm-hmm. uh, his former photographer, people like Karen, his former manager, Damaris Lewis, mm-hmm. a model mm-hmm. slash backup dancer, Adrian Crutchfield, the sax player. Mm-hmm. Then there's other people that are like, he trusted you, mm-hmm. not just for a few months for a long time so i'll talk with you i'll tell you certain things i'll appear on your show but there's also other people who trust me that don't really want to be out in the public eye Mm. or don't don't want to be involved in the battle so i have to protect them the same way i was protecting him and they don't get it they don't they think it's unfair but at the same time that's how prince would sometimes do stuff and they don't get it if they're not going to get it that's not my problem yeah, you know. I, yeah. I think the I think the the bigger bigger thing is that it is a it is a it is a battle. I mean, right. that's the best way to paraphrase it. It is a battle, and uh, in fact, that you 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 have to understand that part of part of what goes on when you're in battle, and this shows you what a battle he had during his life with his music, right? Right. That's, in time, they'll understand. In time, that's, they'll understand. Like I've yeah. had a lot of people like i'd rather put it the way that dj khalid does instead of haters like uh-huh. they don't want you to do this they don't want you to be the voice yeah in time things are understood again people like we said before people are going through the five stages of grief at different times yeah. so they're upset at it they don't know where i'm coming from because i always try to be behind the scenes with them but he was always trying to get me to do more when yeah. i was co-hosting shows he was wanting to be out there more when i go to paisley to do stuff He'd be like, okay, we're going to put you on mic. We're going to have you do this. And then like we Prince's first ever guitar, we found it. We want people, we want you to bring it out and interview people by it. But then they were doing it through a phone because the reception of Paisley was so bad. Yeah. It already died. But he was wanting me to put myself out more. And that's what's interesting about this podcast. This is one of the things that he – I don't have an email of it. All right. I know is it was an idea that came up with just like with the Spreecast. Like, hey, we're going to start this podcast and yeah. that's where we'll deal – with what happened with the plane and everything else. And we were going to get feedback on it. Of course, that didn't happen because of his passing. But he knew about it. He didn't object. And that's how it was. If there was something he didn't want me to do, he would object. Other times, I would tell him what I'm doing. He'd want to see how it goes. Of course, the show aired, I think, Tuesday night. We put it up. Mm. Then 24 hours, you know. It was well, just, hey, you know, man, you know, they, like you said, they don't want you to do stuff and they are going to have something to say. Right. And one thing he would always say is, who's they? Exactly. Can I meet him? Exactly. Can I talk to him? No. No, because they, they're weak. They don't have Online. the ability to come out and deal with it. So part of the thing you have to understand is that 
you know, uh, we're in a special role in the stuff that we're doing and in, in right. what we did in life. And then even just like us sitting here talking, it it properly puts things in perspective so that everybody understands a little bit more about it. And that's and that's something that no one can refute. No one can refute. Not even if they find 10 uh, emails or whatever they're finding, or tweets, Twitters, zitters, whatever the fuck it is, they're not uh, going to be able. They're not going to be able to refute the work done. Right. And, and most people who ain't involved in the work are then lazy and don't want to work. Right. And so they can't be part of that trust conversation. Right. No. So that's the cool part about it is that by virtue of the nature of the relationship, we're already in an exclusive club that we just we just have to sit and watch if people do what they do. It's true right. about all three of us. Many are called, few are chosen. Right. Yeah. And I was lucky. That's right. Through a long <laughs> period of time, through behind the scenes, and then Well, you may be on, lucky, but you yeah. may be good. So you yeah. you have to look at it at a different, there's yeah. a different perspective. Not just luck. We were on yeah. a weird wavelength. Is all like, yeah. it, it can't be described. And he understood it, and then Julia and other people that were around yeah. understood it as just... It'd be like, we were just discussing that. Like, were you, are you sure you weren't there? And I'd be like, no. I go, I came up with the idea. No, we were just talking about it. There'd be weird things yeah. like that all the time that just going to be explained. And I just feel very fortunate. I mean, you know, like, look, the past six months I have been really tough. Could have just done mm -hmm. other stuff. But I'm like, there's no one trying to do anything. And I'm. the thing is, is it's about trying to do what me and him have talked about what he expressed that he wanted. It isn't me trying up with stuff. Of course, it's harder with him not being here. You mm -hmm. know, it'd be easier to do things one way. No, you got to kind of like think about it. What would he do? That's like just this Warner Brothers deal. They're coming up with the money now. They weren't coming up with it before. Of course, it's no coincidence that it's coming out now right before the holidays. They're trying to cash in. But now the estate and what he wanted before they're finally paying him because mm -hmm. now they realize how much it's going to sell. I just don't want to ramble. I just feel very appreciative. Thank you guys for, no, for saying cool, that. Man. Yeah, no, you know? we, we always, we always, it's, it's about not just us, you know, relieving ourselves, but you, you got something to say too. And, and, and this thing changes you, you know, this whole experience changed me, changed yeah. Scotty. Uh, it's going to change you. It's going to change all the fans because, yeah. If you didn't get anything from the experience with him, you weren't paying attention, especially if you were fortunate enough to be close. And this is for musicians who work with him. Mm -hmm. This is for any of the staff that came after us. I've talked to all the engineers who came after we left. Um, they all feel the same way, that they all learned something. It was a special time in their life, and, and you can't take that away from them. Right. And, and, and so I think it's very important that, uh, you know, we, we all be positive about it, you know, even with all these aspects of, of everything, man. Warner Brothers thing is great. They're putting it out there. They're going to put some music out there and people are going to have more to choose from eventually to, to, to learn about who he was for the next generation. So, right. you know, it might not be again, everything that we think and all those things, but again, that we have to at some point turn a corner because, of the way that it was curated up to that point, part of that responsibility was on him. And like I said, as somebody who, who took it to him and tried to have those conversations, part of the responsibility was him. And at the time, if he didn't want to do it, I had to respect what he didn't want to do and move on and still figure out a way to be productive 
right in the in the musical quest so um you know you don't don't feel bad just just you know if anything just be as supportive as we can my prayer and and concern is always that the family is in lockstep and that everybody who's involved in any aspect of it is doing things to set them up to win right. if you really if you're really about loving him then love who he left set him up to win you know and and just be as be as truthful and honest as possible and let his story do what it's going to do his music was powerful and his his experiences here were powerful there you can't you can't sit there and think you're going to orchestrate the the uh the the revisionist history as, as Scotty so so rightfully said it's not going to happen like that so right Thank you guys cool. so much. All really right. appreciate you guys taking the time out here. No problem. Spending your day off, you. flying out with the fray to be here. Cool. Much love, you guys. Keep it funky till next time. Uh. 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 Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs>